Target Renegade. The only rules of this game are the laws of survival. Welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. And I'm Sean. That's it today, but this is not uh, our first uh, rendezvous with Renegade. Uh, you might remember that this is the sequel to a game called Renegade. Uh, Sean, do you remember that game? Oh yeah, it was all like Kunio-kun and like you were in the subway a lot. And, you know, Brawler, that. Yeah, it was our first beat-em-up on the system. It's pretty, it's pretty significant. And if you go back and listen to that episode, which I didn't ask you to do before this, so there's no penalty for that. But if you go back and listen to that episode, it's interesting, the kind of praise uh, that we were giving it just for, like, you know, oh, I, like, it's doing it. It's doing the arcade <laughs> thing. Like, it feels like a beat-em-up, and... uh Nowadays, that doesn't fly, right? Like, once you're the first in the genre, you get maybe a little more leeway. But we've played some Double Dragon. We've played River City Ransom. Like, you you know, there's a new standard in town. Yeah, but we do that pretty often, though. Like, I, you know, in the early year of the podcast, we pretty much game everything that benefited out. Um, and I think any time, you know, a new paradigm shifts, we... we we're still allowed to do that, but you're right. We've seen enough of it now that all of the, the veneer has been, has been blown away. Yeah, I recall the very first episode, 10-yard fight. I just kept saying over and over again, I didn't think it would be possible for computers to emulate football. <laughs> and you just kept insisting about you know Madden and uh, ESPN, NFL 2K5 or whatever, but I was like, no, nope, just didn't even know it was possible. <laughs> The well, only thing that's concerning here, though, Sean, is that uh, Target Renegade sure looks like Renegade still. Um, on a, I, I don't know what it, on a fidelity standpoint, I guess, because you're right. Like, graph sprite-wise, like, they're not the same characters or anything like that. But uh, just in terms of, like, the art style and everything, it feels like NES games have evolved past what Target Renegade is throwing at us here. I mean, I think it's still an improvement on Renegade. Renegade was like if you're if you see this as sort of uh, low fidelity, then Renegade was even lower. So I don't know. It it seems sort of par for the course. Not not like one of the best games, not best looking games on the system, but I wouldn't put it in the 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 jank category. Yeah, I guess it's just like the way that. The way that they look like they designed the sprites by outlining everything first and then using the Microsoft Paint, uh, you know, bucket. <laughs> the bucket tool. Yeah, yeah, just like fill in the rest. Like, like there's no like shades of blue on your uh, pants or anything. Like there's no, basically on everything, there's barely any shading on the actual characters. There is some nice shading work on on the backgrounds themselves. But even that is like, you know, we were talking about the Double Dragon 2 uh, set design pieces and stuff like that. Like, that was something that we complimented in the episode and I think still holds up even more so now that I played through Target Renegade and was kind of like, eh, graphically, you know, this game looks like it's stuck more in, like, 1987 than 1990. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree that it's 
it's not quite up to what we've played recently. But again, it's not it's not the most simple thing I've seen. Yes, and uh, you know that's worth noting too that like uh, on this show I could care less. Like all games technically look like shit on the NES. Yeah, you, they all if, do. Yeah, no, if you're that kind of guy, right? Like some people just won't play NES games because they're eight bit, right? There's just people out there that say I just can't get past it. I can play uh, with unlimited polygon counts uh, and have all my lighting rendered in real time, and it's like, yeah, the NES doesn't offer that, but it's all about how the games play. And Target Renegade is a beat-em-up. It's one of those clear the human sponges by punching and kicking them to death to progress further into the level. And uh, most of the people you'll be punching and kicking in this game, for some reason or another, uh, maybe it's a good thing, maybe there's a compliment, they look like Brett the Hitman Hart. (laughs) Well, I think that that sort of plays into just the vibe of Renegade in general, which is the most pastiche, over-the-top version of like of all the dirt bags in New York and all the low lives you'd see on the subway and Central Park, like like a seventies foreigner version of New York City. Um, I guess you know, like you know, Warriors. We've probably used that to describe one of these games in the past. Um, so I think it just it, it's part of the aesthetic, you know. Yeah, you can't really be a beat up main character if you're not wearing uh, just a vest with no shirt or anything. <laughs> you know, like, if you're not wearing just the vest, then what are you doing? You, you can't be a, a 2D beat-em-up unless there's a whole gang of, like, girls in, in tube tops that are also fighting you. And when they punch, it looks like they're just about to, like, whip their hair at you, but they, then they actually punch you. That's a great point, because there are other enemies in this game other than Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, there are some characters that literally look like they are just, like, hands in their pocket, just minding their own business. And even if you think, like, oh, these people are, like, you know, uh, NPCs that I shouldn't be hitting or whatever, I might get penalized for them. The game makes it clear that you can't move any further until you beat their ass. So I think that's really funny. I know I know the uh, the enemy that you're talking about, and that's not just, like, somebody minding their own business. That's a pervert. I, oh, I can't, okay. I can't confirm if that's the actual. Uh, the coat gave it away. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I can't confirm if that's the actual name that the game gave them, but those are just perverts. Yeah, and so then, like, all construction workers are also bad people. Well, those I think those are just the guys that don't. Uh, they always skip leg day. Is that are those guys that skip leg day? Yeah, because their arms are gigantic. Yep. I wouldn't say they're bad people though. But look, we've played beat 'em ups on this system, so I don't want to talk about um, what, you know, I don't want to talk about like punching and kicking and jump punch, ju- pressing both of them at the same time to do like a jump kick. We we've covered that ground before, so probably one of the only reasons to talk about this game on this podcast now to cover new ground is the boss fights because they are doing something a little more interesting uh, with the beat 'em up style boss fights where they have like clear weak points that are even communicated like on the status bar screen hey yo in the center like as as tips and stuff like that yeah uh and even the first one i thought it's neat it's a it's one of those things where like yeah if you do try to like get greedy and throw in like even more than one punch you're gonna take a ton of damage when he throws like what is it a tire is he throwing tires at you he throws tires and then whenever he like he does a little bit of a kick and then he takes away like a quarter of your health yeah and so like 
you know, the whole idea is, is that he's a much larger sprite than you. So the only thing you can do is kind of punch him in his giant gut and then immediately run, run away from him and then punch him in his gut and immediately run away from him again. And I don't know, there's something to that. Like, I think that's a, a neat way of uh, in a game where all you can do is punch and kick the, to, to create something new when it comes to the boss fight. Sure. I mean, you can do other things than punch and kick. You can you can grab the object like we've seen before. Um, but I guess you're right. And then what do you do once you grab the object? You hit. But what do you do in video games, Mike? You punch and kick. Yeah, all you do in Mario or is shoot. run and jump, and yet they continue to find new ways to run and jump. And the, I guess these bosses, these bosses are the equivalent of, of those things. Uh, do you punch in stomach? Or do you punch in leg? But the enemy's sponges aren't doing anything different. And I don't know if that's just a complaint about beat-em-ups or Target Renegade in particular if I'm singling it out. But it is a little like, hey, guys, what the hell? Yeah, they, they seem to be a, a combination of like this, this enemy has this amount of health and there may be some difference in like how many frames their attacks have, uh, like how long the animation is. So like you, they might... Be, they might be heavier hitters that way, but the, uh, yeah, there really isn't too much going on between them. You know how, like, when uh, you know they give you three enemies on screen and you can't move further until you clear them all in the game, uh, or not in the game, but rather in the manual, it refers to those as scenes. Uh, new, new, new uh, gaming terminology for me. Uh, each, each one of those uh, sections where they enter new enemies in a beat 'em up call that a scene from now on it sounds more it sounds like you know what you're talking about <laughs> what are the ones where you're sort of punching and walking are those like montages yeah that's exactly what it is that's a mise-en-scene oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually mise-en-scene right like uh, <laughs> to do the french thing yeah are you sorry are you like making a reference to our, our college uh yes, classes? I am. okay I am <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Just for everybody who, who went to college with us, just so you guys know, yeah, that was a reference to that thing that uh, happened one day in yeah, class. Wow, you just brought back memories. Anyway, uh, good to know. And then your character, known only as Renegade, I think that's kind of funny, like Target Renegade sounds like you're the target, which I guess is true, right? Um, somebody yeah. has decided to send an entire gang after you. Um, but Renegade in general, like I would just think, you know, Renegade is a way to describe, like, the attitude or the um, descriptor of a person, not that their name would be, like, the renegade. No, I think your renegade, uh, and I forgot your brother's name, but, you know, I think that might be his given name. Is renegade. Yeah, his, his given name is Renegade Smith. <laughs> and um, Mr. Big is the guy who, uh, you know, this is where it gets interesting, Sean. In the NES one, he's just kidnapped your brother, it seems like. Uh, but in other versions of this game, uh, basically, in some versions, Mr. Big kidnaps your brother, Matt. And in other ones, he murders him. And so that begs the question, which one's more intense? Uh, having your brother kidnapped and knowing that like you can save him? Or having your brother murdered and knowing that you can avenge him? Well, I think uh, I would prefer to save a live brother, Matt. Um, but I guess you don't get the same sort of emotional payoff if it's an avengement, if it's not an avengement. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you prefer? I think I also prefer the kidnap thing because it gives you something at the end of the game as like a prize. Yeah. Like you kiss at the end or something. 
Yeah, from your brother, sure. <laughs> uh, it's like one of those things where if your brother's dead, it feels good to beat Mr. Big. But then what happens? You just get a, the end screen? Like, a high that five. Yeah, like a high five would be cool. Like freeze frame. That doesn't feel good at all. Or maybe like a really long conversation that's per- that's like as long as a couple like actual levels would be about like, oh, I'm sorry about what I did when I was a kid. Like, I really appreciate you saving me. And then they sort of maybe they have a little bit of a of a fight in the middle, like an argument uh, to make it like more believable. They're brothers. Doesn't really matter either way, though, because the way you rescue your brother is handled off screen via text. It just tells you that you've rescued your brother. Oh, well, never mind then. Right? Wouldn't you like a cutscene where you see your brother or maybe like suddenly surprise, uh, you know, your crush now is into you? (laughs) That would be nice. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Do you know the do you know the funny thing about the end of this game, though? I didn't. I didn't see the end of the game. So please okay. Tell me. So I would love to tell you because I'm sure it's not apparent to anybody else. But you're a renegade, so that's kind of on the nose as it is. Uh, Mr. Big is comically revealed. Uh, basically, when you get to the end of the final stage, you're at a pool hall or whatever. You must be breaking into his like underground casino or bar or whatever. And then there's a women's bathroom, a men's bathroom, and those are like somehow. Those doors are even bigger than you, so I'm not sure what that's trying to say about, like, is there another group of people that live on this planet that where the doors are their size, or, you uh, know? The, um, wait, the men's, the, men's, uh, the men's door is much larger than it needs to be? Yeah, it's much larger. Okay. Like, basically, our guy would have to reach up to grab the handle of the men's door. I think the reference there is, you know, the size of some of the bosses. Like, these are really big dudes, and you're kind of a tiny guy. Right. Or maybe you're a regular size guy and these are huge dudes. So they're they're built for them. I buy that. I like that a lot uh, because that's I was also thinking that they're comically large, these doors to then emphasize that there is a women's bathroom, a men's bathroom and a Mr. Big's bathroom. (laughs) And it is a tiny little door and it reveals that Mr. Big is actually the smallest character in the game. Uh, It's very cute. I like that a lot. And um, Mr. Big. Like, I don't even think they show the gun. He just, like, throws projectiles at you that I guess I was thinking are bullets, but maybe they still look like bullets now, even as I'm looking at it, but maybe he's throwing, like, knives or whatever. But, I mean, he's not a hard boss fight. Huh. It's kind of funny. It's like a funny end of the game. Like, they're they're clearly having a laugh at it, too. Like, <laughs> they called him Mr. Big. You've been fighting big bosses the whole game, and then... You just walk in on Mr. Big's little bathroom, and it turns out he's the smallest character in the game. I'm a fan of it. Okay, I just I just got to this point in the video that I'm watching as we record with the men and women, the men's and women's room. They're both very large. So yes, I think it's but more there, like there a was a there was a large woman in the game. She had a big <laughs> uppercut. But I also think it's you know they just didn't scale the backgrounds to the to the characters that well. But I do see the very obvious sight gag of Mr. Big's tiny door, and I appreciate it too. But the game wasn't funny otherwise, so it is a no. little strange, right? <laughs> well, I mean, again, like the, the, the enemy design is pretty hilarious. Like, again, the, the perverts, the, uh, the skateboarders, and the, the guys that skip leg day, they're all very goofy designs. And I know that they're based on 
other it's a trope we've seen these in a bunch of uh brawler beat 'em up games but i i really did like the designs of the enemies in this one and they were kind of funny okay so maybe the maybe in a way the game is going for this cartoony feel and now we're able to go back to the very beginning of the episode and excuse the graphics a little more i wouldn't say it's going for cartoony but i think like I'd say, yes, it's going for a sense of humor at the very least. And Sean, you mentioned that, uh, you know, there's more than just punching and kicking. Uh, did, don't give me the move list or whatever or talk about your gameplay or whatever, but did you find enough variety in the scene-to-scene uh, -scene combat? See, I'm using my new advanced terminology of beat-em-ups. In the scene-to-scene -scene <laughs> combat, did you find enough variety, or was it kind of like, all right, here's three more guys I gotta just, you know, beat up till they uh, vanish off screen? Well, th there's a couple set pieces that, like, there's the dudes on the motorcycles, and you have to kick them off their motorcycle uh, before you can progress. Like, I, think, I think they do, like, two at a time, and maybe this is just because it was taking me a long time, but I just noticed that these motorcycles kept coming, and like that one would fall off, and I'd be fighting him on foot, and then another one would come on the motorcycle. I feel like you had to kick both of them off their motorcycles, or they would just keep getting replaced. Um, so that that's a that's a set piece. Uh, sometimes they introduce these throwable uh, or just weapons. Um, but not like enough that they would affect anything beyond the scene that they're introduced in. And sometimes you'll find like a fire extinguisher you could throw or uh, a, a metal grate garbage can. Uh, I, so I wouldn't say there's nothing revolutionary in there. It's, some, it's stuff that we've seen. And just looking through the manual, it does kind of give you like a breakdown of the level to level. Um, and again, it kind of does emphasize some of the funnier things like this is. No place to hold a picnic unless you invite the skate lords. Um, oh, they're the skate lords. They're the skate lords. And uh, in level six, maybe you could help explain the joke here. Um, you're getting closer to Mr. Big's pig pen. Watch out for the karate clan. They can make coleslaw out of anyone. What's, the col what's coleslaw in reference to? That's a complete non sequitur. Okay, so there's no relationship between coleslaw and the karate clan. I maybe in the deep lore, but uh, from the the description you've given me, it makes zero sense. Yeah, you know, you really have to play Renegade to understand all the references <laughs> in Target Renegade. You can't just jump into Target Renegade. One thing I will I would like to say is beyond the enemy design and all this stuff that we've talked about in general, the vibe of the game is like super rad. Like this is. One of the raddest games I've played. Yeah, this game is just basically following up on tons of 80s tropes. Yeah, so you got, you, you've got your status bar that tells you to go left or right. Like, that. that's saying, like, yo, kid, like, go on and dust them. Or, like, watch your back and, and stuff like that. And the, the music is, is intense. It's pretty intense music. Like, I think 80%... Of the soundtrack is midi-fied guitar solos, which I really appreciate. Yeah, that um, opening is hot. <laughs> it's very hot. Uh, yeah, it just it's very it's very radical and tubular. 
Okay, and then the last thing, uh, because beat-em-ups are inherently an arcade-feeling thing. However, playing this on an NES, I, I felt more like I was playing, even, even though the game is relatively short, felt like I was playing a story mode version, where like I'm moving between these scenes and these levels, and I'm getting closer to Mr. Big. It was only until I got back to the main menu that I was like surprised about, like, there's, there's a leaderboard with like 10 positions on it, and they're all named Target Renegade, uh, unless until you like you know basically uh, play through the game and add your high score. That said, like I don't know, did this feel like an arcade game to you, or did it feel a little more narratively connected than what you expect from um, the kind of arcade games that have leaderboards? I mean, I felt zero narrative <laughs> aside from the setup of go rescue your brother and. Uh, these kind of cookie cutter plates that'll that'll be set up between levels. They're just like, good job, kid, you did it. Uh, now, now you know the the park is easy, but now we're gonna go uptown. And I didn't really feel any kind of narrative. Yeah, I guess it, that wasn't the right wording. I guess what I'm I guess what I'm thinking is is like now that I've played a few more of these on the NES, I I just was surprised to think of of like a leaderboard and like score being the kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that you is go definitely for. weird. Though the, it's not even just after you finish, it's the first thing you see is this leaderboard and I guess like their assumption was a bunch of friends were going to boot the game up and just leave it on for hours while they while they each Yeah, there's attempted. no saving. Yeah. Um yeah, cuz otherwise it's going to reset to the same score for everyone. That's why it says today's leaderboard or today's high scores. It's a weird addition. Um, but I also think maybe what you were saying about, uh, story mode as a, as a story mode in comparison to our other games is because the other games that we've played have been a bit more open recently, like, like river city, like that was like an RPG beat em up. And it's actually kind of been a while since we've played one that's just like level one, two, three. But Sean, you did mention uh, the music and the guitar solos and everything like that. So I feel like it's obligatory for me to mention uh, that Tim Fallon did the uh, music for this game. And you don't have to know who that is. I never really knew who that was. I don't. Except for the fact that he... uh, you know, we'll probably talk the whole episode about it. He did the music for Pictionary on the NES. Pictionary. And yes, and I feel bad. I don't really want to spoil it for anybody, but basically, uh, Pictionary on the NES. He did Silver Surfer on the NES. He did a bunch of uh, Super Nintendo games. Well, he's still, I think, like up until 2020, he's still making, like, every now and again, like a track or whatever for something. But basically, like, this guy dominated on the 8 and 16-bit hardware, huh. like, just just for that kind of stuff, like, the most intense tracks that don't <laughs> even necessarily, like, I think he even said in an interview that he doesn't get to play the games or anything like that. He just gets to imagine what might happen and write music based off that, and then they just throw it into the game. Uh, huh. You'll definitely know that that's true when we get to Pictionary, if you know what I mean. Okay, I will just have to hold my breath for that. Yeah, uh, and then on the sequels and spinoff side of everything, 
we talked about uh, the various versions of Target Renegade where either your brother's murdered or kidnapped. Uh, I wonder what the conclusive thing then, though, is in Renegade 3, the final chapter. Like, did they take a stand on which one was canon? Because there is a third Renegade, but um, unlike um, this one is like a time traveling one and you're rescuing your captured girlfriend. So I guess like they don't they don't care what happened to your brother because now it's your girlfriend. Well, maybe your second player, if this is actually a multiplayer game this time, is your brother. Well, they actually dropped the two-player mode in, in Renegade 3, which feels like the biggest misstep for, for a sequel. Well, I mean, this one did the same thing. Yeah, but I guess I'm saying, like, you know, you want more features. <laughs> uh, and this game also didn't come to the NES, so we don't have to play Renegade 3, which is just great. Oh, good. <laughs> Not to color, of course, our thoughts about uh, the upcoming segment, but before we get to the upcoming segment, I thought it was worth mentioning that nobody says this about the NES version, but the ZX Spectrum version of Target Renegade was voted number 13 in the top 100 ZX Spectrum games of all time, according to the, like, Sinclair Spectrum fanzine. So... Respected people who uh, liked ZX Spectrum specifically uh, voted on this, so that's like, it's already niche. It's a niche console. Then it's a niche kind of game for release on that console, and then it gets number 13 out of 100. Uh, So either the ZX Spectrum has a pretty weak library, (laughs) or maybe uh, Target Renegade is uh, (coughs) just a completely different kind of game on the ZX Spectrum. You don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that, and I don't know your answer to our next segment in the Essential Games List. Even if Target Renegade is a step forward from Renegade on, on any particular uh, scale, whether you want to say about the gameplay, the graphics, the, um, you know, the boss battles, whatever it be, uh, it's actually a step down from the kind of beat-em-ups that we've had recently. And so for me, almost within like 10 minutes of playing this game, I was certain of my vote just based on what I had experienced. That's not a good feeling because I feel like at the beginning of a game, you can actually, uh, that's like, that's your only chance to hook people. If you can hook them in early, they might play your mediocre game for longer. Like as it continues to like not introduce new concepts and mostly be the same game, like they were invested at the beginning. So they'll just kind of slog through it. Whereas this game, uh, not that it was a, a slog or boring or anything, but it didn't do anything revolutionary to uh, the Double Dragons and River City Ransoms of the NES hardware. And so I just kind of felt like already I was playing uh, like 25% of a game that I already played. So obviously it can't be on the Essential Games list for me. But what about you, Sean? Yeah, I didn't have as, and I'm not saying that your reaction is harsh, I'd say it's 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 pretty level, um, but I'd say that I didn't have as harsh of a reaction. I I did like the game. I did enjoy my time with it. Uh, I mostly laughed at all the the goofy enemies and the mu- the over the top music and how my uh, my HUD had a had an attitude. It had some tude, had some in your face action. Uh, so I thought it was a charming game. But you're right, like there isn't much iteration going on here. There's it, it's kind of what we've already played. Um 
maybe slick in some ways, but underdeveloped in others. Uh, so I agree, it's not on the essential games list, but I, I did enjoy it. I do feel like I gave that status bar um, the short stick here on the episode because I didn't really even give it its own section. Not that we need to... No, I didn't need a section. <laughs> yeah, not that it needed it or that we need to do it now. But uh, it is kind of also, in a weird way, it's, it's something you notice from time to time. You don't always, like when that text pops up, I don't always feel obligated to read it. I, I I occasionally like glance down there if that made sense. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Because mostly, I wasn't it's like, oh, saying, what does it have to say? Go right, go left, um, watch your back, and then it's like, yo, dude. <laughs> so yeah, like it should have had personality a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Uh, okay, but I think this podcast has personality a hundred percent of the time. What about you? Uh, like forty to fifty percent. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, a hundred percent now without Joe. Oh. <laughs> nah, oh. That's just a, a cheap shot while he's not here to defend himself. Uh, Joe actually makes up uh, 33% of the podcast, if you can believe it. 